You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. I got something I want to talk about to you. It's time for Communication Mixdown here on 3CR, and a big thank you to the Climate Action Collective for their great show today. I'm Judith Peppard, and I begin by acknowledging that 3CR is broadcasting from the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nations. I pay my respects to elders past, present, and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty has not been ceded. Now, have you ever gone foraging, like hunting out a few sprigs of rosemary for a dish you're making, or maybe some oregano for a pasta sauce, or maybe you're looking for edible native plants? Today, we'll be exploring urban foraging with Alexandra Crosby and Ilaria Vani, both associate professors at the University of Technology in Sydney. Alexandra Crosby is a scholar and visual communicator with an interest in expanding design practice. Her current research is focused on recombinant ecologies and urban environments, where she explores the relationships between plants and people, revealing the systems and the ecologies that will be critical to overcoming the impacts of climate change on our cities. Ilaria Vani combines feminist methods from social sciences and humanities and design studies to conduct research on urban environments. They've written a paper for the online publication The Conversation entitled Rosemary and Roundabouts, Lemons Over the Fence, How to Go Urban Foraging Safely, Respectfully and Cleverly, which I was keen to hear more about. Maybe it was being clever about the plants I picked. But before we discuss that, I noticed that they'd co-founded Mapping Edges. So I began by asking about that project. Here's Alexandra Crosby. Mapping Edges comes from the idea of edges, which is a permaculture term about where ecosystems meet and where all kinds of generative things happen in nature. But we also think about edges culturally and historically. So we like to bring in stories about people into that idea of nature and the environment. A big part of what we do is actually to make visible different dimensions of the city. For example, the ways that plants connect to each other and to people and mapping, it's one way to make those kinds of practices and more unseen parts of the city visible create maps which are sometimes counter maps or alternative maps that invite different ways of engaging with the city. And uh, Ilaria, how did you and uh, Ali come together to do this research? I had a project on activism and design and Ali did a PhD. From that we discovered that we were very interested in plants and in walking and in permaculture. One of our first projects was in Sydney in Merrickville, 
We started to map the plants that we were encountering. We found out that there was an abundance of papayas, of bananas, and dragon fruit. So we started to think about the social cultural histories of these plants, apart from the environmental histories, and why there were so many papayas growing literally on the street verges. So that's how we started. A wonderful beginning. And one word that's come out for me is the word activism. I gather from that that you both see your work as social change. Absolutely. And activism is a great way to begin a collaboration because you're already starting from a place of a shared desire to change something. And so that's really important to Mapping Edges. It's really important to how the work emerged. We're really interested in amplifying grassroots practices and, as I mentioned before, practices and relationships that aren't necessarily visible from top-down perspectives or from a policy level. And design activism is something that we've been exploring together and thinking about a lot. What does that mean to do design that makes social change that is overtly political? So why this paper? What was the inspiration, the motivation? The mulberries are in season. It's a very good moment to think about what grows in the streets around you. And not only the mulberries, there are a lot of native plants that are either in bloom or just starting to fruit. So for instance, uh, you may smell Lomandra as you walk around Sydney. And I see quite a lot of uh, dinellas in bloom. And I keep an eye on them because I really like it eating the little berries. It's the little blueberries that you see. I live in an area which is described as the largest urban renewal in Australia, in Green Square. I walk around and see quite a lot of my neighbours walking. And I think they started to look at land a little more during the lockdown. I also started to talk with a lot of gardeners that I meet at a safe distance, yelling from one side of the street to the other. And then I noticed that not really return, but maybe new interest in plants and what grows around you. And I think a desire to disconnect for a little while from our screens. Got the feeling that everybody's working longer hours from home. The other thing is probably that there is a sense of spring, sense of growth, which is uh, uplifting the gloom of uh, being in lockdown and COVID, yeah. Yes, I think you're right about that. You know, when you can only go five kilometres, you go over ground that you may have walked before, but you see it in more detail and, and you also see how it changes with the season. So you may or may not see what's edible, (laughs) depending on whether you've learned about that. That's right. And the kangaroo grass is going to seed and the warrigal greens are at their most succulent. So it's a really good time of year to be thinking about foraging and to be looking and smelling and tasting plants in the city. But also, as people have been confined both in Sydney and Melbourne to their local areas for quite a while now, I think there's a resurgence in starting to notice what is growing. So it's interesting to find a little bit of a silver lining to the pandemic story. Amazing how you can walk the same paths and find new things. And I do the same walk about 
four kilometers every morning with my dog. And I have a few mulberry trees that I visit along the way because it's in a wetland area. So they grow very well. It's a lovely way to start the day at the right time of year for breakfast. But I just found a white mulberry tree three days ago, which is just astonishing that there's plenty of trees and plants I have not yet made friends with. So they taste different and they don't make your fingers blue in the same way. And I was just delighted to discover that on my regular walk. You've already kind of mentioned some of these things, but what do you see as the benefits? Five, six years ago, there was a big flurry of um, celebrity chefs who were, yeah, getting out and foraging. And I, th- I was thinking, you know, I, I think I've missed that. I'm sad about that. <laughs> but I think what you're bringing in your paper is a whole lot more about uh, the benefits. So what do you see about the benefits of foraging? Yeah, I think you're right. Foraging has moments where it's a, it's a fad and um, a lot of celebrity chefs have celebrated it. And also we can see it's quite important for local distilleries as well. Quite a few gin makers are foraging for native botanicals or wild weeds, which is great to see. But probably more importantly for us, you can't really do it without connecting to your local environment. Noticing when a tree is ready for harvest, noticing if it's getting enough water, watching how a plant self-seeds and uh, propagates and regenerates an environment and being respectful and careful that you're not taking too much, that you're threatening the plant. These are the kind of micro practices that are that are part of foraging that are really important to making sure that uh, we're living in our city in a way that is about caring for them and also caring for country. You know, we emphasize that in the article that while it might be a fad or it might be new to you as a practice, finding edibles in the place which is now our cities has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. And it's been going on because Aboriginal people have been caring for country. They've been stewards of this place. And um, I think that's really important to keep in mind. So for us, thinking about foraging makes these priorities and practices for care really present. And if you just joined us on Communication Mixdown, I'm chatting with Alexandra Crosby and Alaria Vani from the University of Technology, Sydney, about urban foraging. And while there's so many great things about urban foraging, there are some risks and things we need to be careful about. Here's Alaria Vani. Being respectful of country and respectful of the environment In general, we would suggest not to forage unless you know what the area you're foraging in was used for in its previous life. There is a very big park near us where there are some wild edibles growing, but this park used to be a tip, so you don't necessarily want to forage on reclaimed land because you don't know what kind of contaminants there are. Not being sure, it's best not to do it. This is one thing. The other one is know your plants. Because there are some plants that might look vaguely like some kind of wild lettuce, but maybe they are not, and maybe they are toxic. If you are foraging, say, in a laneway, it is a very good idea to have a conversation with gardeners if they are there, which is an act of respect. Most gardeners will be happy to give you a lemon if you ask for it. 
that's not to say that you cannot pick it if it is hanging over the fence. It is legal to do that. But it is more respectful if you have a conversation with a gardener. And in that way, you also establish a relationship. And that's the other side of foraging and in general of uh, paying attention to plants in your environment that is important. And that is that plants also grow communities yes yeah and it, it is true and also during lockdown i've just noticed in my own community more people are having chats and as far as lemons go we're overwhelmed with lemons here in melbourne and what some people have kindly done is just put whole boxes out in front of their house full of lemons with a sign saying please take them so yeah definitely it's a really good point, Judith. Someone in the comment section of the article was a little bit concerned that encouraging foraging would mean an over-demand on wild foods. I, everybody would be out and there would no longer be a supply. As you're saying with the lemons, the best mindset for foraging is abundance. So if something is in abundance, like lemons at a particular time, of course, sharing is a really great way to distribute them. We're not going to have a shortage of lemons during citrus season in Sydney and Melbourne. We are not going to have a shortage of dandelions. We may have a shortage of dragon fruit, which are very slow to grow. And please don't pick a dragon fruit off a vine that someone has been tending for years and years because it's not a nice thing to do. So just keeping that idea of abundance, what is abundant right now? What can we share? Keeping that in mind is a good way to go about it. Not far from me, there's a whole row of olive trees that are all on a nature strip. It has been, uh, and uh, I'm not sure what the demography is at the moment, but it has been very much a Greek and Italian neighborhood that I live in. So definitely the olives would be important. Probably a month later, sure enough, I walked by and there were some people who were shaking down the olives, obviously going to use them. And I also got very excited. You know, like, oh, you know, how come I haven't ever done this? <laughs> but as you point out in your paper, and there's a lot to know and a lot that's about caring. Alaria, you talked about possible contaminants in a neighborhood, like what the, is the history of that land? How would people actually find that out? Are there places you can go? You can look at old maps. You can ask council what was in that particular street or area. It really depends on, you know, what resources are available. So in Sydney, when I moved to the place where I am now, I had a report from New South Wales Environment on uh, the soil composition around me because I wanted to know if I was buying on a contaminated area or not. The other thing that you can do is have the plant tested to see if the plant itself is contaminated or not. There are different places where you can do it. We have some links in our article that you can check. So we've already talked about some of the edible native plants in the southeast of Australia that we might find in Sydney and Melbourne. So you have talked about Warrigal and Illawarra plum. Oh, they're delicious. Do you have them in Melbourne? I don't know. So this might be a project. Yeah, I would think you probably do the Illawarra region, but I think that they can survive a little bit of frost. So it'd be good to find out. And I did try to find out. So far, I think I'm more likely to find Illawarra plums in the Goulburn Valley area of Victoria rather than Melbourne, but I'll keep looking. After these messages, Ali and Alaria will tell us about a word that was new to me, civic ecologies. 
and some of their favorite forage experiences. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op is open. Get fresh produce and support local farmers and keep our grassroots community thriving through these unusual times. Organic veggie boxes and click and collect now available. Visit www.foefood.org slash click collect to place your orders. Or pop in store at 312 Smith Street and see how we're adapting with our new physical distancing layout. Shop organic and buy local. Made easy at Friends of the Earth. A proud 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's Voice of Dissent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. You're on 3CR. The show is Communication Mixed Down. I'm Judith Peppard and my guests are Alexandra Crosby and Ilaria Vani from the University of Technology, Sydney. We've been talking about their paper, Rosemary in Roundabouts, Lemons Over the Fence, How to Go Urban Foraging Safely, Respectfully and Cleverly. Now, one of the points they made in the paper is that urbanization is actually responsible for the growth of edible plants. Here's Alaria. Ecologists call this recombinant ecology, new ecosystems that come about, you know, because humans have planted certain plants. So one of the trees that we see a lot in Sydney is papayas. Some papayas are grown in gardens and some papayas grow just because people might compost the seeds and they just pop up in the compost or in the warm farm. In other instances, we saw papayas growing quite in uh, bizarre places uh, where there was probably some water and enough soil. And that is the result of birds eating fruits from the garden and then expelling the seeds somewhere else. So that's how these fruit trees are propagating. The other example is banana trees. The bananas are not trees in reality. They are grasses, and they reproduce through a root system that pops up under fences or sometimes quite far away from the original tree. But again, somebody has planted the original banana somewhere. I know you've been doing research about urban farming. So might uh, Ali go to you on this one. What have you found? We have talked to a lot of gardeners and we've found some really specific gardening cultures in different suburbs of Sydney, which are really not that far apart. We did some research in Haberfield in the inner west of Sydney, Sydney's garden suburb. It was designed that way with particular sized lots during the Federation era, which had a a front ornamental and a back productive garden. We worked with the Haberfield Association there and did oral history with a series of gardeners. While Haberfield is very much 
promoted and identified as a heritage suburb. The idea that gardeners had of heritage was much more alive than only their built environment. It included stewardship practices like wildlife corridors where gardens linked pathways for native birds, water-saving practices, very caring and particular visions for a future of their suburb, not only preservation of history. In Marrickville, where we also did research, we found such a diverse array of practices to do with gardening. Marrickville is a very interesting suburb of Sydney because also parts of Marrickville were important meeting places for Aboriginal people. There's quite a lot of wetlands and swamps. There are middens in Marrickville, so it was clearly a place of collecting, harvesting and sharing food. And then it's been farmland and it's been parts of it have been heavily industrialised. It was a very important place for post-World War II migration from Southern Europe and then more recently from Vietnam and Southeast Asian communities. Of course, it also is a prime example of gentrification, particularly with the industrial spaces that offer creative spaces to those who are the first wave of, of gentrification. So it's got this mix of different uses of the land. It's also a very big suburb. And again, you can just see such a diverse range of approaches to not only gardening within a site, but caretaking practices of the environment around where you live. So, for example, people from different cultural backgrounds swapping cuttings or tending a verge together. There's a lot of those kind of scenes in Marrickville which are very important. There's a lot of community gardens. All the primary schools in Marrickville have community gardens. It's an interesting large suburb. You talk about the term civic ecologies. What do you mean by civic ecologies? A way to describe initiatives and actions of people who care for the environment, place and community. A very good example is the gardening on the nature street. So what we have found in our current project is that somebody starts with a little bit of gardening on the nature street. The neighbours come around and see what the neighbour is doing. They like it. They exchange cuttings and the nature street starts to grow. One near me, for instance, said it is quite beautiful and it almost spans the entire street. In that way, people are taking care of their environment because they plant a variety of ornamentals. Many are natives who attract pollinators. They also take care of their streets of the place and it's actually a way to make place. It's a grassroots way to reclaim the design of your neighbourhood. I want to know, maybe I'll start with you, Laria, what's your best forage, best experience? The Dianella, this tiny little blue berries that are native to this area that are right around November, December, and they are absolutely delicious. So for me, that was a very good find, a food that I didn't know. And what about you, Ellie? What's your best forage? I'll try and tell a quick story. Around the corner from me is a street with a row of olive trees. And I noticed that the olives were all different varieties, different sizes, so perfect for that mixed olive pickling. I knocked on the door of the house when they were ripe and began falling down and said, I'm going to pick these. Can I, can I help myself? 
And the owners of the house were so thrilled to hear from me and said they're elderly, they can no longer pick the olives, please pick them because they go to waste. So it was a lovely way to, you know, have access to these incredible varieties of olives and then to also connect with my neighbours. And I, I took them a jar. They probably thought they were terrible because I'm not as skilled at pickling as, as they were, but it was a lovely way to make connection. For people who are excited about the idea, what are your quick tips? Uh, acknowledge country and treat it as a learning process as well as an eating process. Walk around notice what grows around you and what is abundant. Alaria Vani and Alexandra Crosby from the University of Technology, Sydney. And we've been talking about their paper, Rosemary and Roundabouts, Lemons Over the Fence, How to Go Urban Foraging Safely, Respectfully and Cleverly. And that was published in The Conversation last week. We're coming to the end of Communication Mixdown. So big thank you to Alexandra and Alaria. And the link to the paper will be on the Communication Mixdown website, and you can look into all the links that they've provided. And then also check your own local council, and you can Google foraging tours in Melbourne, tours led by First Nations peoples here in Melbourne. And if you're already well-established on this path, just wishing you great forages. I'm going out now with Emma Donovan and the putbacks with Yarian Mitichi. Catch you next time and stay safe and take care wherever you are.
Listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.